1: Good evening tonight. President Trump and the president of France are right now exchanging verbal blows. The night before, they're supposed to be talking about what unites them. Also, the first lady hits back at her husband's lawyer, Rudy Giuliani, over his remarks about Stormy Daniels. Our Dana Bash has just spoken with Mayor Giuliani, and you'll not want to miss what he has to say to her. First, something you'll only see here, Kim Kardashian West breaking her silence, speaking out for the first time about her effort to secure the freedom of this woman, caught in what was obviously. One of the great joys, joyful moments of her life. Alice Marie Johnson rushing into the arms of loved ones freed yesterday after 21 years in federal prison, sentenced to life on drug charges. Kardashian West lobbied the president on Ms. Johnson's behalf, and yesterday he commuted her sentence, citing her good behavior and rehabilitation, none of which would be especially controversial, except that it's part of a series of pardons and proposed pardons by the president that is raising questions on a number of fronts, including just exactly how the president is using one of the few absolute powers the president share with King's current Time Magazine cover story, raising the specter of an imperial presidency, something we'll touch on later. First, though, the case of Alice Marie Johnson and Kim Kardashian West, who spoke exclusively late today, was seen as Van Jones. Van, you just finished an interview with Kim Kardashian West. What did she have to say?
2: Hey, listen, uh, it was a phenomenal interview. She was super emotional about uh, this victory. You know, she got this woman her freedom, and she was uh, passionate about the, the cause She uh, made a little bit of news. She said uh, Donald Trump called her directly, personally, on her cell phone. uh, And then she then got a chance to call uh, um, Alice uh, Johnson in prison and let her know that she was going to be coming home. And uh, she also responded to a lot of the criticisms and skepticism. No good deed goes unpunished, but she had uh, some good stuff to say for herself. The meeting with President Trump. Now, that's a whole other level. Yeah. How did that happen?
3: Um. Uh, well, when I initially called Ivanka, I said, I would love a meeting with your dad. I said that from the start. Um, and then that took about six or seven months to get. And so once we got our, you know, the file really strong, we were able to um, plan a meeting. And, and there was the, uh, there was the prison reform summit that I know you were at. And so I was going to go to that um, And my meeting was scheduled the day before that. And then things were changing, schedules were changing. And so they had rescheduled the meeting and it happened to be on Alice's birthday. And that was the date they picked. And so I was like, okay, this is just all aligned. It's, this is, the stars are all in our favor today. I just feel that this is the right day to do it. And- um, So you go in. We go in.
2: That's crazy. You gotta know for normal people- Kim Kardashian yeah. going into the Trump into the White West House. the West Wing. The Oval was, Office.
3: Yeah. I Look. have to say I never get starstruck. Huh. I was starstruck over the Oval Office.
2: Yeah. President Trump actually called you. Yes. So you're sitting there. The phone rings. And what does it come up? It says Donald Trump? Or what happened?
3: No. It says unknown. Mm-hmm. And so I, I remember I was on the phone with my husband. And I said wait babe. I gotta call you back. And and it was uh secretary on the line that said she had the president on the phone and i knew it had to be some some news hopefully you know i was always really hopeful and i had been in in communication with jared so i was feeling things were looking really positive but that that week after meeting you're just literally on pins and needles waiting To to hear what's going on. So, um, yeah, he called my cell phone.
2: And what did he say?
3: He said um, that he's really investigated this case and spoke to her warden, spoke to just everyone. And everyone had a unanimous, from the people that he reached out to, um, unanimous feeling of Alice, that she will live a great life and she will... um, That she has done her time, has been such a model person in prison. She's never had any, like, infractions on, you know, behavior or anything. It's almost
2: impossible in prison, by the way, so.
3: Yeah, I mean, she, yeah. And she became an ordained minister. She got so many degrees. She just, knowing that she's never going to get out, but she is still so amazing and is working on herself the whole time she's there i think just he felt her heart and he explained that to me and i was just i mean when he when he said he has the papers in front of him and he's signing it i just like my heart was so full
2: i'm just going to throw him at you you tell me w- yeah. who's right and who's wrong trump is using you as a political pawn so now you're sort of you you you've endorsed him in a way you've kind of given him legitimacy you might be in a campaign video. Uh, he used you.
3: I think... I think Kanye's already given him legitimacy, so I don't, you know, in that way. So I I was working on this before, so I don't... Like, for being... I don't think I would be used. Mm-hmm. You know, and, and at the end of the day, he heard me out. We got the job done. So... I, I don't think like what could he really use me for i I wonder
1: what what does this say to you about how the president is making decisions about uh, whom he pardons, who he doesn't Well, you know,
2: um I think that he is uh, taking a very unusual approach to pardons. you know uh, President Obama uh, pardoned uh, you know more than a thousand people in similar situations, but he had a big process for it. Uh, uh, Donald Trump seems to be going a little bit more uh, 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 sporadically in some ways. However, if you listen to what Kim Kardashian West said, uh, being able to make the case that this person had changed their lives, that they had uh, served a lot of time and they could go home and be a good, productive member of society, seemed to land strongly with President Trump. And so uh, I think this is a different way of doing business. Uh, but uh, if, you, if you are uh, a family member, uh, Miss Alice, uh, you're pretty happy with his decision-making uh, this week.
1: Uh, I'm going to be speaking with Raymond Santana, obviously a member of the Central Park Five, uh, coming up next. I'm just wondering, h- how do you make sense of a president who can show mercy to someone like Alice Marie Johnson, but still to this day has yet to apologize or admit he was wrong about you know, the horrible things he said about the Central Park Five? You know, it's, it's one of the most baffling things, and, and I
2: think uh, people... Uh, are trying to figure out how to square the circle, how to make sense of stuff. It's very, very very tough. What I would say is this. uh, I am glad President Trump did this. I hope he does more things like this. I hope he becomes more systematic in doing it. At the same time, it doesn't take away from some of the other bad stuff. Uh, If you got a kid and they get nine questions wrong and they get one question right, you're glad they got the question right, but they still don't get an A. Mm. Uh, Donald Trump's got a long way to go to get to A when it comes to these issues around justice. Mm. Ben
1: Jones, thanks very much. Raymond Santana, in his case, he gave Kim Kardashian West a shout-out today. Just to remind you, in 1990, Santana and four others were convicted in the beating and rape of a jogger in New York Central Park. After serving years in prison, he and the rest of what became known as the Central Park Five were finally exonerated. Someone else committed the crime. DNA evidence confirmed it. Today, Raymond Santana tweeted, I gave Kim Kardashian a lot of flack about speaking on prison reform, but when I found out she went to champion on Alice Johnson's behalf, I had to eat my words. Apologies to Kim Kardashian. Recognize your work. Salute. And in that one tweet, Raymond Santana was far more generous to Kim Kardashian-West and the president ever was to him or the other members of the Central Park Five. In the weeks after the attack, Citizen Trump bought these full-page newspaper ads calling for a return of the death penalty. When the Five were exonerated, he refused to accept it. And when the city agreed to a $41 million settlement with them, he wrote an opinion piece calling it a disgrace. He has, to this day, never apologized to Raymond Santana, who joins us or any member of the Central Park Five. Raymond, I want to ask you the, the same question that I just asked Van Jones. How do you make sense of the president, who can show mercy to someone like Alice Marie Johnson, but still to this day hasn't apologized to you or the other
4: four of the Central Park Five? Um, you know, Anderson, it, it's, when I first heard about it, You know, I really thought that it was a good thing. I thought that it was a great thing that somebody was finally pardoned, um, that he had took, taken a step to do something You know, for Alice Johnson. But... There's a part of me that because of this man's track record, because we know that he's deceitful, he has lied several times. He has uh, fabricated things. It's very hard to believe that it it comes from a genuine place. You know, then we find out that Kim Kardashian, you know, went and spoke to him and consulted with him and she swayed him to do this. So it, it just proves that at the end of the day, like he's still full of lies and he's still full of trickery. And that um, it, it hurts because here we are, right? In the pardon of, in the pardon of school to of liberty, right? You know, and I quote, Donald said that, um, you know, he didn't know the man personally, but he spoke to several people. And several people said that this guy was done unjustly. And that's what he went by. And in our case, you know, we had DNA evidence. We had the prosecutor, right? We had several people who championed for us. And none of that may matter to him, and he didn't care. We were still guilty in his eyes. So at the end of the day, it, you know, it, it, this, this move doesn't look like it comes from a good place. Um, we can't trust him. You know, you can't just dangle Kim Kardashian and Kanye West in our face and say, look, I have a change of heart, and I deserve a pass. We heard, we heard from Kim Kardashian a bit ago the fact that there's been a
1: celebrity component to some of these pardons, whether it's with her or Sylvester Stallone and Jack Johnson, does that matter in your mind or at the end of the day? I mean, if a commutation or important pardon happens, is that
4: what counts most? I think that I think that, you know, it does matter. In our case, you know, you had Ken Burns, who 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 did his research and, and and seek seek the truth and seek justice. And he knew that we were innocent. So he stepped up and decided to do something for it. You know, and I think that it weighs a lot because our celebrities, this is what they're supposed to do. They have this major influence. They have a duty to the public, those people who support them. They're supposed to champion for a cause like this. I just want
1: to, uh, to read a portion of the full-page ad that then Donald Trump took out in the Daily News it was back in 1989 about you and your co-defendants. He wrote, "Quote: Criminals must be told that their civil liberties end when an attack on our safety begins." Does that at all sound like the same man who's who's pardoning people who have a criminal record now?
4: Well, I mean, it it, it, it might look like that there's a change, but I don't want to give him that pass just yet. He needs to do more for our community. We have a lot of issues. If you want to pardon people, speak to the Innocence Project in New York City. I'm sure they have a whole list of people that deserve pardons. You know, I mean, there's other issues that we have to deal with before we can trust Donald Trump. I mean, there's police brutality, mass incarceration, you know, uh, job unemployment, education funding programs that he has cut in the past. Like, He has to do all these things and make it right before we can finally trust this man.
1: The president has shown compassion by by pardoning someone like like Alice Marie Johnson or uh, commuting a sentence. Do you have any kind of expectation that he may also show compassion and
4: admit he was wrong and apologize to you and the other four or at least admit he was wrong? I mean, if he does, it's a first step in the right direction. But before I believe him, he has to do a whole lot more for our community. Mm -hmm. Raymond Santana,
1: it's always good to talk to you. Thank
4: you, Raymond. Thank you so much, Anderson.
1: Well, coming up next, more breaking news. A fascinating story. First Lady Melania Trump firing back at her husband's lawyer, Rudy Giuliani, saying, you don't speak for me about Stormy Daniels. So what does Giuliani say to that? Dan Bash has just talked to him. And stay tuned. You'll want to hear. Later, the president's feud with France and now Canada the night before the G7 summit. Have they forgotten the parade already? And what does it say about a president who's chosen to take on some of this country's oldest allies?
0: Visit Zenni today at Zenny.com slash CNN. That's Z-E-N-N-I dot com slash CNN.
1: There's breaking news tonight. Some stunning pushback from the office of the First Lady, Melania Trump, directed at her husband's personal attorney, Rudy Giuliani. As you know, Giuliani was brought on board just last month to be aggressive, a flamethrower, and defend the president against his legal troubles. He's certainly living up to that and right now under fire tonight from the First Lady's team. This all started earlier today at a conference in Tel Aviv where Giuliani was asked how Mrs. Trump feels about allegations from Stormy Daniels that she had an affair with the president back in 2006. Here's how Giuliani responded. She believes in her husband. She knows it's untrue. I don't even think there's a slight suspicion that it's true when you, excuse me, but when you look at Stormy Daniels, uh, I know Donald Trump and
5: Let's look, at his, her.
1: look at his three wives, Right. Beautiful women, classy women, women of great substance.
5: Stormy Daniels.
1: (laughs) Now, the first lady might have remained quiet about Mr. Giuliani saying she believes in her husband and knows it's not true. But instead, this afternoon, her communications director came out with a statement. Quote, I don't believe Mrs. Trump has ever discussed her thoughts on anything with Mr. Giuliani. Senior's Dana Bash has talked with Giuliani to get his reaction to all this. She joins me now along with CNN Chief Legal Analyst Jeffrey Tubin. Um, Dana, I just find this story fascinating. I mean, first of all, how unusual is it, before we get to what Giuliani has told you, how unusual is it that the First Lady's office put out a statement basically slapping him down?
6: So unusual. I mean, Anderson, it's unusual for the first lady's office in any White House to put out a statement on anything of this nature, even if they were talking about a political foe. This is far from that. I mean, this is the first lady's office, as you said, slapping down the president, her husband's attorney for something that he said in a public forum on a global stage about her uh, sort of saying what she, what he thinks that she feels or what she believes. And, you know, so she's basically saying to him, cut it out. But she's also sending a signal in the very carefully worded statement that maybe she doesn't believe her husband. And there's no question that she Left it open to ter- interpretation, as she does in so many different venues and so many different ways. Right,
1: you can oh. read the statement in multiple exactly. ways, but I mean, it's exactly. certainly a slapdown of Giuliani. Essentially, don't don't put words in my mouth. Don't yes. tell tell say what I'm thinking.
6: Yeah, no question. And, and and you mentioned that I talked to him, Anderson. I did, and I said, "How did you How did you take it?" And th- th- what he said is the following: He said. I took it, meaning Melania Trump's statement, as she didn't want to get involved and get called as a witness or anything like that. Then he went on to say, I think she is saying, please don't say that. I said anything because I didn't. That's the freedom of being a lawyer. That's my interpretation. Now, he also said to me that he had never interviewed, that's the word he used, interviewed Melania Trump about this, meaning he never talked to her about it, that he was sort of just saying what he thinks that she believes. He also said that as of this is by the way, he's still in Israel. So we spoke basically in the middle of the night, his time uh, earlier this evening. He said that he has not heard from the president nor anyone in the White House, including Melania Trump, uh, with an angry call or any call at all about his statements.
1: Um, Does uh, Jeff, I mean, does. What is going on with Rudy Giuliani?
7: Well, I think this is really a question for a psychiatrist more than a uh, legal analyst. I mean, he's just sort of riffing out there.
1: Because, I mean, from a legal standpoint, a a wife isn't going to be called in to testify against her husband. Right.
7: I mean, she, she, she is, has privileges. Anything he might have said to her and her opinion about whether uh, this affair took place would certainly not be legally relevant other than any communication she would have had. So, I mean, that, that's just a, you know, a, an argument of no, of no substance. But, I mean, this is a pattern with Giuliani. I mean, he keeps making things up and representing subjects that he has no knowledge of. I mean, th- the same day, Secretary of State Pompeo slapped Giuliani down because Giuliani said, uh, you know, uh, Kim Jong-un came begging and crawling back to the summit. And Pompeo said, well, he doesn't speak for us in foreign policy. So he's just out there riffing on television. And I I don't think anyone is at this point paying a lot of attention.
1: And didn't Giuliani also say something about that Stormy Daniels doesn't have any credibility, but there may be others out there who do?
6: Listen, he has been very clear in saying that uh, she doesn't have any credibility. I mean, that was really the, the initial big headline from this, this event that he's he did in Israel. Um, and one of the things that he said, Anderson, and he's made that clear a number of times, is the reason he doesn't believe that Stormy Daniels is telling the truth is basically because she's not his kind of woman. Uh, he has said that publicly, and he also said to me that he believes that she, meaning Melania Trump, knows him well enough to know on this one what's the word fakakta. That's a Yiddish word. He's in Israel. So maybe he's uh, he's having a one in Rome moment. But he's basically saying, and I'll translate it for you, that even Melania Trump thinks with this allegation from someone like Stormy Daniels, who he's described in very negative terms, she just doesn't believe it. Again, this flies in the face of what Melania Trump, through her spokesperson, said today in very um, abrupt terms and blunt terms that he doesn't speak for her.
1: Jeff, is Giuliani having the kind of week that would help with his credibility in terms of, of Robert Mueller? Well, that was supposedly I, the reason he was. Wrong. I don't think Robert Mueller's office
7: cares a whit about this stuff he says on television. I, 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 this is just theater. Um, I think some of what Giuliani says, the theatrical aspects of it, probably appeals to his client, Donald mm-hmm. Trump. I mean, I think, I think Giuliani is out there, you know, being outrageous and, and being definitive and saying that the Mueller people are trying to frame Donald Trump. I bet the president loves that. So I don't think Giuliani is in trouble at, at, with his client. Just in terms of the rest of us listening to what he
1: says, you know, I think we've learned to take it with a grain of salt and then some. Dan Bash, Jeff Tubin, thank you very much. We have more breaking news connected to Stormy Daniels. Her former attorney, Keith Davidson, is filing a defamation claim now against her and her current attorney, Michael Avenatti. Davidson is also throwing in a separate claim against President Trump's personal lawyer, Michael Cohen, for allegedly recording phone calls with Davidson. Now you'll recall it was only yesterday that Avenatti filed a lawsuit against Davidson, claiming that both he and Cohen joined forces to protect the president against accusations of an affair by Ms. Daniels. Much more ahead tonight: the president's latest attacks, just moments ago, on our allies the night before he travels to meet the same allies that he's attacking. Talk about what increasingly looks like a president spoiling for a fight with friends. When we continue.
8: More closed than ever before.
0: Remember to create an ad like this one visit purewinning.com slash CNN.
1: President Trump leaves tomorrow for a summit in Quebec. He reportedly does not want to attend with allies he apparently doesn't want to see and certainly does not mind antagonizing, including our oldest ally, France, whose president today hit back hard. We'll tell you about that in a minute. As for the summit that he is apparently eager for, the one next week in Singapore with North Korea's Kim Jong-un, he's not exactly cramming for that.
8: I think I'm very well prepared. I don't think I have to prepare very much. It's about uh, attitude. It's about uh, willingness to get things done.
1: Now, whatever you think of that approach, it's not exactly the norm, especially not with a dangerous and unpredictable nuclear-armed adversary, nor is it the norm to be openly pushing allies around, sometimes even literally. Remember, the president made his international debut pushing aside Montenegro's prime minister out of the way during a photo op at last year's uh, NATO conference, came into office having campaigned uh, criticizing NATO heavily.
8: Number one, NATO is obsolete. And number two, the people aren't paying their way. It's obsolete, and we pay too much money. NATO, we're going to have the people that aren't paying, they're going to start paying. It's obsolete. They were getting ripped in NATO. They don't pay their bills. They are delinquent.
1: Well, for the record, there's nothing to be delinquent on. NATO sets defense spending targets for countries to follow. It's simply a guideline. Nobody pays dues. Yet, even today, the president seems not to uh, follow that distinction. Uh, NATO uh,
8: has been working very closely with the United States. Our relationship is very good. Together, we've uh, increased and really raised a lot of money from countries that weren't paying or weren't paying a fair share. Uh, we have a little
1: ways to go, but many billions of dollars of additional money has been raised. Well, it's not the only point of contention with our NATO allies, six of which will be at tomorrow's G7 economic summit. On the economic front, President Trump has scrapped trade agreements, slapped tariffs on France, Germany, even Canada. He equates trade deficits with corporate red ink, which is factually incorrect, and says that trade wars are easy to win. Now, again, we should underscore this is what he campaigned on, certainly, and what he made a winning issue, Trump versus the world. Some, including France's finance minister, have been calling tomorrow's G7 summit the G6 plus one. And late today, President Macron of France tweeted, The American president may not mind being isolated, but neither do we mind signing a six-country agreement if need be. Because these six countries represent values, they represent an economic market which has the weight of history behind it and which is now a true international force. That is America's oldest ally speaking. And here's President Trump's reply. Please tell Prime Minister Trudeau and President Macron that they are charging the U.S. massive tariffs and create non-monetary barriers. The EU trade surplus with the U.S. is $151 billion, and Canada keeps our farmers and others out. Look forward to seeing them tomorrow. Just moments ago, there was another tweet, quote, Prime Minister Trudeau is being so indignant, bringing up the relationship that the U.S. and Canada had over many years and all sorts of other things, but he doesn't bring up the fact that they charge us up to 300 percent on dairy, hurting our farmers, killing our agriculture latest tweet tonight, attacking his host tomorrow. Certainly a lot to talk about. Joining us right now, CNN Global Affairs analyst Max Boot and former Time magazine international editor Bobby Ghosh. Um, Bobby, I mean, it's, you have the president calling the prime minister of Canada indignant on the eve of the summit uh, meeting tomorrow. It's certainly going to make what is already a tense meeting even more tense.
5: Yeah, he doesn't seem to he doesn't seem to mind. It's clear that he has his eyes on on the summit beyond tomorrow. That's the one and he wants the North Korean
1: one is the one he that's wants. That's the one
5: he wants. That's the one he thinks is going to to have a big impact on his legacy. The thing that, that he there's been plenty of reporting suggesting he didn't even want to go. Uh, to Canada. He didn't want to do the stopover. There was some talk of, of sending Pence at one point. Um, he's decided he wants to go, but he's thumbing his nose at everybody else who's going to be there. and He hasn't even arrived yet. Um, his, his, the economic arguments he's making make no sense. I mean, the president has demonstrated over and over again that when it comes to economics, he is illiterate. He's economically illiterate. He doesn't understand how economics works, which is surprising considering that he's a, he's a businessman. Um, There are plenty of American farmers who say that these tariffs are going to hurt them. Um, But that's the that's the 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 store he set for himself. And he's being consistent with that. He he as you pointed out, it was a successful election issue. There's an election coming up later this year.
1: Yeah. Uh, I mean, Max, uh, you know, some of the reportings uh, of your colleagues uh, at at The Washington Post. I mean, the president is not looking for forward to this summit. It probably, uh, you know, had he not. Uh, chose to antagonize them, it might have been might be less unpleasant.
9: Well, that's right. I mean, this is a a bizarre situation where it's quite likely uh, that the president of the United States is going to have a more cordial meeting with the vicious dictator of North Korea than he is with our Democratic allies. I mean, my reaction to all this, Anderson, is, frankly, uh, Vladimir Putin's investment has paid off because Vladimir Putin helped to get Donald Trump elected president. And obviously, Trump has not delivered the kind of pro-Russia policy that Putin might have wanted, I think, in large part because of the scandal over Russian involvement in the campaign. But he is now delivering exactly what Putin wants, which is this major transatlantic rift. We are divided from our allies more so than at any point in my lifetime. And that only helps Russia. That only helps China. That helps our enemies and our competitors. Donald Trump is doing serious damage to America's alliances, it may not be possible to repair that damage because who among our allies is ever going to trust America again after the United States has declared that our allies are national security threats and that we need to put tariffs on them?
1: It is incredible, Bobby, to have the president of France saying, look, you know, six countries can, can sign an agreement. We don't really need the U.S. They're not, you know.
5: Collectively, the six countries, the size of their GDP is about Slightly smaller than the American GDP. But but here's the interesting thing. Macron is now speaking to Trump in the language that Trump recognizes and in the medium that Trump recognizes. Mm, he's he's nice. directing the conversation with Trump via Twitter. So Trump has dragged Macron off the diplomatic conversation and into the, the, the sandpit of social media where Trump really knows how to play. And 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 that's you know, he's dragged Macron down to his level. This is a conversation that ought to, if it ought to happen at all, it should be happening behind closed doors. It should be happening with all kinds of diplomatic protocols. There are reasons for those protocols. The fact that the president of France, the president of the United States are feuding over Twitter just shows you how far down the Trump administration has dragged a global conversation.
1: Max, what do you make of the president saying that for a a summit with this North Korea that You know, he feels he's prepared, but that it's really not about, uh, you know, research. It's really about attitude.
9: Well, I think it is about attitude in Donald Trump's case. It's this uh, boundless self-confidence verging on arrogance. I mean, he is full of pride. And let's remember, pride precedes what? I mean, he I, I it's 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 a complete mystery to me why he has so much confidence, his own abilities. I mean, leave aside his corporate record, which was highly checkered. I mean, remember, six corporate bankruptcies. He was not the master businessman that he makes himself out to be. But even if you just look at the realm of nuclear diplomacy, he has no background whatsoever in international relations. He's been president for 500 days. You know, any president, even somebody who's been incredibly steeped in the diplomatic minutia, would be studying very, very hard for such a high-stakes summit with so much on the line. And Donald Trump thinks that he can just blow it off like he doesn't have to study for the test. He'll just come in and ace it uh, without having done his homework. There is nothing in his record that gives any confidence that this gamble will will, will pay off. And this is, in fact, very, very dangerous, raising the risk of either uh, major American concessions that are unwarranted or a blow up at the summit. Mm. Either way, this is a very volatile and risky
1: situation. Yeah. Max Boot, Bobby Ghosh, thanks very much. A quick programming note. You saw a portion of Van Jones' exclusive conversation with Kim Kardashian West at the top of the broadcast. You can see much more later tonight on CNN Tonight with Don Lemon. That's 10 p.m. Eastern right here. Up next on 360, another Republican is debunking the conspiracy theory spread by the president and his allies. The Spygate theory will tell you uh, who that is and who's talking. And we'll also talk to the ranking Democrat on the House Intelligence Committee when we continue.
10: I'm Andy Katz from March Madness 365. And on this edition of our show, I'll be joined by Syracuse's
4: highest battle. I've been just trying to improve all facets of my game, just being able to be more offensive, throwing the ball different ways, shooting the ball. I think that's improved. And uh, just my playmaking ability as well.
0: Subscribe to March Madness 365 now at Apple Podcasts and
8: Spotify.
1: South Carolina Republican Senator Lindsey Graham is joining the ranks of some fellow Republicans who are saying there's no there there when it comes to the president's accusations of FBI spies inside the Trump campaign. Graham tells CNN's Mano Raju that he has seen, quote, no indication, unquote, that a confidential source placed in the, in the campaign by the FBI was a so-called spy. Joining me now to discuss this and other issues linked to the Russia investigation, the ranking Democrat on the House Intelligence Committee, Adam Schiff. Congressman Schiff, So, Chairman Nunes was obviously a driving force behind this, this conspiracy theory. The FBI was spying and, and infiltrating the Trump campaign. Now that you have several prominent Republicans, along with many Democrats, coming out saying it was all made up, does Nunes need to correct the record
10: Well, of course he should, but that's not the purpose behind all this for the chairman. The purpose is to do everything possible to support the president's legal defense team. Uh, Giuliani has acknowledged as much uh, their expectation is that whatever is turned over uh, to the Republicans uh, on our committee or judiciary will be provided to the defense team. Now, that's completely improper and appropriate. Uh, It would explain, though, why Emmett Flood, uh, one of the president's other lawyers, was at the last Justice Department and Congress uh, congressional meeting. Uh, But these are materials that ordinarily wouldn't be provided to Congress. They involve a pending investigation. They involve potential uh, risk to sources and methods. The only reason this is being done is that the Congress is battering the Justice Department. And normally, when you could expect the administration, the president to back up the department, uh, they're undercutting and undermining the department. But you would think with all of these Republicans now saying this is bogus, uh, even the the one that brought us the endless Benghazi conspiracies is saying this is a conspiracy too far for him, that we could call it end to this uh, abuse of the congressional uh, quote unquote oversight process.
1: But it seems like you know we've 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 heard this record before. I mean, something the president raises a uh, a conspiracy theory, some outlandish idea that there's no evidence of. Uh, his his backers in Congress uh, trumpet it on on you know Fox and, and elsewhere, um, and then it just kind of you know, when when the evidence is revealed that actually there wasn't anything there, it's like the whole idea of a secret society. Nobody really ever seems to, uh, you know, claim, uh, you know, uh, admit responsibility for it, apologize or say they were wrong and then just kind of wait a week or so and some new outrage is, is mentioned.
10: Well, that's absolutely right. I mean, let's look back historically First, the president was saying that he was spied on at Trump Tower, which was nonsense. And uh, the heads of our own intelligence agencies had to say publicly what the president is saying is nonsense. Uh, And then you had the whole claim of an unmasking uh, conspiracy. And uh, then you had the claims of uh, FISA abuse. None of that has borne out. uh, But of course, the president and his allies have never said up until now that these claims were bogus. The only change now is that there are a few Republicans speaking out. And I can only surmise that what they're seeing is what we are seeing also. And that is, when you ask voters now, do you want someone who's simply going to be a rubber stamp for the president, or do you want a, an effective Congress that's a system of checks and balances, people are increasingly saying, we need checks and balances. This president is acting like he wants to be a king.
1: Today, Paul Ryan publicly said, quote, there's no evidence of collusion between the Trump campaign and Russia. Obviously, no one knows the answer to that question yet until Special Counsel Mueller releases his report. No one can credibly claim there was or there was inclusion. What do you think Speaker Ryan is doing here?
10: Well, Speaker Ryan, uh, ever since he said, uh, you know, the obvious a couple days ago, that he also had seen no evidence of embedded political spies, uh, has been taking a hard uh, hard, uh, set of attacks from the uh, right-wing blogosphere. And I think he is responding to that by trying to paddle on the other side of the canoe, and saying, "Okay, I said there's no spies, but I'm also going to throw the president a bone and say there's no collusion." The reality is, there's plenty of evidence of collusion in plain sight. And if you ask Speaker Ryan what he would think if, uh, if you told him that. There was a secret meeting at the Clinton headquarters where a Russian delegation promised dirt on Donald Trump as part of a Russian government effort to help Hillary Clinton. And uh, the Clintons lied about this meeting with Chelsea Clinton and the campaign manager, Robbie Mook, for the Clinton campaign. If you basically present this in mirror image, they would, of course, believe that was collusion, and they would be right. Now, whether it's actionable, whether it's a criminal conspiracy, Bob Mueller will have to decide but there's plenty of evidence. So for the speaker to say that, I think you really have to ignore what's right in front of us.
1: Mm. Congressman Schiff, appreciate your time. Thank you very much. Thanks, Anderson. President Trump took to Twitter this morning to applaud Professor Alan Dershowitz for saying the upcoming inspector general's report into possible missteps in the Hillary Clinton email investigation proves a special counsel for the Russia investigation was never needed in the first place. Just ahead, I'll talk with both the professor and his former students, CNN's chief legal analyst Jeffrey Tubin.
7: Hey, it's Howard Beck, and I've got former NBA champion and current YES analyst, Richard Jefferson, on Bleacher Reports, The Full 48.
0: For me, winning the championship just validated, you know, me from a standpoint of like... All I ever wanted to do was win. All I ever wanted to do was win on a high
8: high level. And so to get that, then it just made everything feel like it was worth it.
9: The full 48
7: is now available on Spotify. And of course, you can always listen and subscribe on the Bleacher Report app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to podcasts. It
1: seems President Trump watched a certain law professor saying the upcoming inspector general's report on possible FBI mistakes in the Clinton email investigation proved there was no need for Robert Mueller's Russia probe. The president tweeted, Alan Dershowitz, Harvard law professor, it all proves that we never needed a special counsel. All of this could have been done by the Justice Department. Don't need a multimillion-dollar group of people with a target on someone's back. Not the way justice should operate. So true. With us to discuss it is Professor Dershowitz, author of the upcoming book, The Case Against Impeaching Trump. Also, once again, CNN's chief legal analyst, Jeffrey Tubin. Professor Dershowitz, the the fact that the the Inspector General report is expected to fault Comey and, and Lynch and McCabe How does that prove that a special counsel isn't necessary?
8: I think the Justice Department is fully capable of doing investigations. The IG can do some of them. The Southern District can do some. The District of Columbia can do some. You really should have to show an extraordinary need to go outside the usual channels of the Justice Department to justify bringing somebody in and giving that person a special task.
1: Even if it's a, a case as allegedly complex as the potential for collusion or coordination between a campaign and, and a foreign entity? I
8: can tell you the Southern District has handled many, many more complex cases than that. I mean, there are so many complex cases, international cases. You know, it really is an insult to the existing civil servants in the Justice Department to suggest that they can't do the job well, especially when you have an IG looking over them. The president couldn't complain. He would. To be sure, he complained about anything, but you have less of a basis for complaining if it was a routine investigation done by the Southern District and other districts. So Jeff, what about that? Why, why is I
7: this think special counsel that's here? frankly an absurd suggestion. It's not about complexity. It's about conflict of interest. This is an investigation of the president of the United States. To have that investigation run by a direct subordinate of the president of the United States is self-evidently a bad idea. We have had independent counsels, special counsels, special prosecutors, whatever you want to call them, frequently since uh, at least the 1970s. And by and large, the system, the system has worked well. He, you know, President Trump doesn't like it. Too bad. He doesn't get to pick. Who investigates him? That's the whole point of having a special counsel.
8: But the subordinates are there anyway. This is under the direction of the Deputy Attorney General of the United States, and it would have been under the direction of the Attorney General of the United States. Sure, there's one layer removed, and there's a little bit more independence, but the Southern District of New York... Is independent of the president, the career people, my former students, your former friends and
1: colleagues, they can do the job. You, you tweeted back at the president today saying right. that if he doesn't believe the special counsel, that, that he should uh, withdraw his, his request for a special counsel to investigate Hillary Clinton. Right. He hasn't tweeted back. Do you think no. he will? Uh, you know, he, tweet, he tweets it's about me. It's a double me. standard of his.
8: I think so. He tweets about me from time to time. And today he tweeted saying, see, Dershowitz is right. Special counsel wasn't needed. Well, so I said, be consistent. Apply a neutral standard. Stop demanding a special counsel for Hillary Clinton. You also said it's unconstitutional. By the way, that's an area where Jeffrey and I agree. It's not unconstitutional. It's not absurd to argue it is. It just is not a good argument. In the end, it's not a compelling argument. But if it's unconstitutional as to him, how is it constitutional as to her?
1: Jeff, I want to ask you about another uh, tweet the president said. He said, our Justice Department must not let Awan and Debbie Wasserman Schultz off the hook. The Democrat IT scandal is the key to much of the corruption we see today. They want to make a plea deal to hide what is on their server. Where is the server? Really bad. The president is basically calling for political investigation of adversaries or prosecution of adversaries. You know,
7: adversaries. we've seen so many tweets and so many outrageous things the president have said that I think we sometimes have become inured to just how awful some of the things he said was. Here you have relatively obscure people, Debbie Washerman Schultz's assistant. He, the president of the United States, is calling for him to be investigated Pete, presidents and leaders call for investigations and investigate their political enemies in authoritarian countries, also in, not in the United States. In,
8: also in the Kennedy administration. You know, we're honoring the great memory of Robert Kennedy now. He was a friend of mine. I worked in his campaign. But when he became attorney general, the president and he got together and said, we have to prosecute Roy Cohen. They targeted a number of people who were political enemies of the Kennedy. Does that make it right? No, no. I'm just saying constitutionally, when Jefferson went after Aaron Burr and called people into his office and said, I will give you a pardon if you tell me now what you're going to say against that SOB, Aaron Burr, I'm saying historically, constitutionally, it's been permissible. It's wrong. It should end.
7: It's wonderful to go back to the room where it happened. But, you know, this is today. And we have standards that are in place today. But they're not We're, criminal standards. Well, I didn't say it was a crime. Okay. I just said okay. it was outrageous that the president of the United States is calling for the investigation of some nobody. I agree. I mean with that you. it's I, just I, outrageous, I and the fact you. that what Thomas Jefferson did to Aaron Burr, I don't think is terribly There's relevant. A
8: point that's important to make is we shouldn't conflate outrageous with criminal or impeachable. And you can say it's outrageous. When you say that, you tend to get me on your side. I don't like the president going after his political enemies, but it easily slides into criminalization of political differences, and that's where I draw the line.
1: Professor Dershowitz, Jeff Dubin, thank you. In the room where it happened, Hamilton reference. Uh, Let's check in with my friend Chris Cuomo to find out what he's going to be working on tonight on Cuomo Prime Time, starting in a few
0: minutes. Chris? Now it's in my head, Anderson, room where it happened, room where it happened. Uh, all right. This is what we're doing tonight. OK, once again, showing why I never graduated to a pen and grammar school, always a pencil. We're going to break out the whiteboard. We got Bernie Sanders here tonight. All right. And we're going to take a deep dive into something I don't think anybody's ever really discussed, let alone tried to simplify single payer health care. Why would I do something like that? Because it seems to be a big ticket item for Democrats. Anderson. And if this is going to be something they want to sell, then Bernie Sanders, one of their big shots, better be able to do it for our audience tonight.
1: Look forward to that, uh, Chris. That's about six minutes from now. Uh, again, Cuomo Prime Time starts uh, at nine. You won't want to miss it. Uh, when we come back is a weekend host on Fox headed for the Trump administration. Politico is reporting that Judge Janine Pirro wants an extremely high profile job. We'll tell you what job it is next.
4: So many people around the world depend on CNN's quality reporting, and now they have an incredible online store with clothes, gear, and gadgets. Right now, you can get 15% off your purchase. Just visit store.cnn.com, and when you're checking out, enter the code CNN Podcast just one word and get a 15% discount. It's that simple. That's store.cnn.com.
1: Last night on the broadcast, former Fox News military analyst, retired Lieutenant Colonel Ralph Peters told me how deeply he felt Fox News had become embedded and deeply intertwined with the Trump administration. Here's some of what he said.
8: With the rise of Donald Trump, Fox did become a destructive propaganda machine. And I don't do propaganda for anyone. And frankly, you know, as a former military officer, I took an oath to support and defend the Constitution of the United States. And I saw, in my view... Fox, particularly the primetime hosts, attacking our constitutional order, the rule of law, the Justice Department, the FBI, Robert Mueller, and oh, by the way, the intelligence agencies. And they're doing it for ratings and profit. And they're doing it knowingly, in my view, doing a great, grave disservice to our country.
1: Well, I don't suppose the obvious needs more elaboration. But not to put too fine a point on things, Politico is now reporting tonight. That a high profile Fox News host wants to be President Trump's attorney general. Politico says that former prosecutor and judge Jeanine Pirro has, quote, repeatedly told the president's aides aide, that she wants to take over the job. And the report continues that President Trump has dangled the possibility of a top appointment. Not sure which one. Politico says it's gotten no comment from either the White House or Jeanine Pirro. That's it for us. Thanks very much for watching. Time to hand it over to uh, Chris Cuomo. Cuomo Prime Time starts now.
0: Chris?